This is Limerick FC's Aaron Green and you are listening to the Goal Ireland Podcast. Soccer is rarely mentioned now at League of Ireland. It's about a couple of seconds on the radio. It feels as if when you play down south, as more a European style of play. That, that is a phrase that I've heard many of times. Galway is back where they belong. Can't wait. Absolutely can't wait. They made it very hard for me to come here. I fought my way through the mill to make it happen. Well, all roads lead to France. It's finally here. The boys in green are currently preparing at their luxury base in beautiful Versailles for Sweden, while Euro 2016 kicks off tonight with hosts taking on Romania. Are you excited? We certainly are. You're listening to the Goal Ireland podcast. I'm Dave O'Grady. Remember, if you want to join the discussion, you can tweet us at Goalcom Ireland on Twitter, and we're Goal Ireland on Facebook. Joining me for a chat is Goal's chief correspondent at the Euros, a very excited Peter Staunton. Peter, a big build-up ahead of the opening ceremony at the Stade de France. What's the atmosphere been like? How's it all going? Uh, Dave, how's it going? Um, it's been great so far, Dave. Um, I've been on the ground in Paris now for the last three or four days, uh, just savouring up the atmosphere. And, you know, you can already see uh, fans of certain teams begin to congregate around the city. Um, once you're in the city itself, you know, you're down in the city centre, it's hard to get the sense that there's anything big in terms of a football tournament going on. But once you get closer towards the venues and the fan parks, well, that's when people are starting to congregate. And that's when, you know, you can really see the excitement start to build. So, yeah, really looking forward to getting going. Uh, really looking forward to Ireland's first game, of course, in the Stade de France. And, um, you know, as you said, all roads lead to Paris. And, um, yeah, we're ready for the off. I sometimes think, Peter, that Paris is a little bit like London in the sense they could be having the biggest festival or tournament or sports event in the world. And as you said, they still, you, you might not know that there's anything going on. It's just the, the ex- sheer extent of the enormity of the city, I suppose, plays a part. Well, that's it. Um, but also, you know, some of the French will tell you itself that Paris isn't really a, a football town. You know, there was probably as much excitement for Novak Djokovic winning the uh, the French Open mm. last weekend as there is for the opening ceremony. But, you know, once the tournament uh, gets underway proper, you know, we saw it in 1998, the country will really pull behind France. And, you know, it's the type of thing that as, as a country and as a city that, that they, they need. Um, you know, the, the, the social problems have been well documented here in the last few weeks. You know, there's been strike after strike. Um, you know, people are rearranging travel. Uh, local prisons can't even get their bins collected at the moment. Uh, there's been the floods. Obviously, there's you know been the response uh, to the terrorism attacks that came in November as well. So you know, this seems to be you know a positive after a string of negatives that that could really you know embolden the country, um, unify it, and uh, give them you know something to you know they can unify behind a common purpose. So it plays much more of a role than, than just a, a sports tournament. This one. Yeah, and we'll certainly hope that everything goes smoothly in terms of strikes and and everything like that, as in they are prevented. Peter, a lot of people have had their say about the tournament and favourites for the tournament. Seems like a lot of people are talking up the hosts, France. I don't think, I think they won the last time a tournament was hosted, which was indeed France 98. And, you know, they have a very different team to the ones they had in the past. Are you rolling behind that momentum on the French train or do you think there's somebody else there that's in with a real shot? A few weeks ago, I would have said France um, without any qualms. But, you know, they've had those injuries uh, in the centre of defence and suspensions, obviously. Uh, so, you know, Mamadou Sacco has gone and Raphael Varane's gone as well. Two high-profile absentees there. And, you know, I think they're lacking a striker too. I mean, they're going in there with Olivier Giroud. 
when they could be going in there with Karim Benzema or they could be going in there with Anthony Martial, who, of course, is, is going to be on the bench for the first game, uh, for the first few games, should I say. Uh, so, you know, I'm kind of drifting away a little bit from France. Um, you know, I think Spain have just the right amount of attention on them uh, in the sense that nobody expects anything from them. Uh, you know, they've gone in with a target on their backs for most tournaments in the past, you know, sort of since 2008, probably they've been favourites for most tournaments. And, you know, now people are beginning to write them off and I think they'll get a bit of bit of room to manoeuvre, a bit of room to, to work in. Uh, so I like Spain, but I think, you know, you can never discount the Germans, of course. Uh, they've got a great, uh, talented group again. Uh, but me, I like Portugal. I think they've got a very good defensive base. Uh, they've got uh, great options within the midfield. Uh, new players, João Mario, Adrian Silva. These guys haven't played tournament football before. And then, of course, they've got Cristiano Ronaldo up front. And, you know, I think... They're in a nice, easy group, uh, so Ronaldo can probably, you know, get his goal-scoring touch uh, early on in the tournament and then carry that momentum through the knockout stages. And Portugal, for me, will be my team to watch. Yeah, certainly players like Ronaldo, the big names, they're going to draw the crowds. And you've got Ronaldo's Zlatan, and maybe the half the Belgium team, Spanish team, German team. Is there any particular player that you think might be a standout or this could be their turn- tournament in the making? Well, I'm looking at maybe some of the younger guys. Uh, I mentioned Portugal, um, and there's a few teenagers uh, around the tournament that I have my have my eye on. One of them does play for Portugal, Renato Sanchez, a 35 million euro signing, uh, going up to maybe uh, sorry 35 million pound signing uh, for for Bayern Munich from Benfica. He's an all action midfielder, um, very very strong in the tackle and a great distributor of the ball, great stamina too. Renato Sanchez, that is from uh, from Portugal. And also a young player uh, from Turkey uh, by the name of Emre Moore. Uh, he only got his international debut at the end of May. Uh, he's Danish born and bred and uh, he's been convinced to line out for the country of his father, which of course is Turkey. And the Turks aren't shy about telling you that they could have their own little Lionel Messi on their hands there. You know, he's squat, he's left-footed, he's a great dribbler, he's got um, uh, an accurate shot and Emre Moore could be one of the, uh, uh, one of the emerging talents of the had, tournament. Um, Looking, I suppose, to Ireland's chances, Peter, I know you're going to be in the Stade de France on Monday when the Irish take on Sweden. It's going to be a packed house, there's no doubt about it. Huge amount of Irish are going to be in Paris for that. But in terms of our chances, a lot of people are... It, it, it reminds me, Peter, almost of when we were going into the Euros in 2012 and everybody was focusing on the first game. This is the one where we can get three points. Ah, yeah, sure, we can take on... We can beat Sweden once you take Zlatan out of it. But... I know you're probably going to tell me it's not that simple. Well, it, it is not that simple, really, Dave. But, you know, Sweden are no great shakes. I mean, they haven't been beyond the knockout stage of a tournament um, in, a, in a long, long time either, you know. And, and they had disappointments in qualification too. And they're probably not where they them, the, where they themselves consider them to be as a football nation. You know, they're probably some, some, some way beneath that. And you take Zlatan out of the equation and there's really, you know, to talk about one-man teams, there really is nobody else. Um, who, who can compete with Zlatan uh, in terms of, of his prestige, in terms of his influence on the team. You know, he's been involved in something like 75% of their goals uh, in the last year. And every time uh, that, you know, he doesn't feature, uh, particularly for, for this manager, Hamron, uh, Sweden don't win. So everything really depends on Zlatan and whether he's going to be on form. Now, we do know he's in, a, he's in his adopted home city, let's call it, where he's played. Uh, very, very successfully for, for Paris Saint-Germain, so he'll be comfortable here. But for me, um, you know, without being sounding too overconfident, I don't think uh, there's anything in this team to be 
too frightened of. Ireland have picked up better, picked up good results against better teams. Uh, four points against Germany, of course, and I and I do think that you know if if they can take the initiative against Sweden, then there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, it's the first game; everybody's fresh, everybody's hungry, everybody's got, everybody's got a point to prove. If Ireland can keep a clean sheet, uh, you know there's there's every chance they can take three points. Yeah, I think there is a bit of a, a difference this time round going into the tournament, Peter, than there was in Euro 2012. And one of the major disappointing things we've seen in 2012 was the fact that a lot of the players weren't fit. But what it seems to be now, Walters is obviously a fitness concern and Robbie Keane a doubt either. But, you know, if that's all that Martin O'Neill is worried about, then it's not too bad. Well, yeah, I mean, Walters is a big worry, obviously, because, you know, he's not just another player at this stage. He's a very, very important guy for the Ireland team. Um, you know, he's very, very fundamental to the way uh, Martin O'Neill wants to play in this kind of lopsided shape where, you know, he's a right midfielder, plus he's a right winger, plus he's a striker as well. You know, he's a, a very, very important part of the Ireland team. And he does pop, pop in with goals as well. So, you know, if, if we can't rely on Walters, uh, it does create somewhat of a headache because winger-wise, you know, we're not exactly uh, dripping in uh, in talent, you know, and you know, the backup winger at this stage would probably be Aidan McGeady and we, we know what the assistant manager thinks of him, for example. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. You know, so if we don't have Walters, then it does certainly take a, a chink out of our armour. Um, you know, I mean, you look at the likes of Shane Long up front, you know, he's, he's a confident boy. That goal against Germany and, and finishing the Premier League season in good style as well with some big clubs interested in him. You know, he'll be a confident man. He's a man with a point to prove. So, like I said, you know, fundamentally in tournaments, you have to keep clean sheets. So if Randolph and O'Shea and the boys back there do their jobs, they'll give the platform for, for the likes of Long and Walters to do their stuff up front. And again, we have to, after the opening game against Sweden, we also have to play the likes of Belgium, who are hotly tipped for Euro 2016. And then Italy are just Italy, I suppose it's fair to say. But uh, how do you think we're going to measure up against them? Uh, look, you would have to say not great uh, on paper. <laughs> you know, Belgium, Belgium are tournament favourites uh, for a reason. They're probably in that gaggle of teams, you know, just beneath your Germanys and your Spains who have something to prove at this tournament, but who might not necessarily be outright uh, in the betting for a reason. And I think the big reason for, for Belgium is that, you know, although they do have some talented players, kind of all concentrated in the one area. They've got a good group of centre-backs, of course. They've got Oliveira and Vertonghen. Um, and they've got a good group of centre midfielders. Obviously, they've got Dembele and they've got Witzel, Fellaini. These guys, attacking midfielders, you know, De Bruyne and, and, and Hazard and Yannick Carrasco as well but I think they do struggle at the fullback positions and up front and if you look at you know the, the football arena now uh, they're kind of the positions that, that tend to make the difference if you've got somebody to say like a Danny Alves for Barcelona or even a D David Alaba for, for Bayern you know playing right back like that and playing left back like that you know it becomes a, a very very fundamental part to, to how a team attacks and I don't think Belgium can, can rely on that you know they're shoehorning people into the fullback positions uh, so that's an area that, that Ireland can, can, can look to exploit and then up front you know they do have the big names in Lukaku and, and Benteke and Origi you know playing for big clubs but, you know, when you look at their goal scoring record, they haven't actually set the world on fire at international level yet. So, you know, it's not going to be an easy game, the Belgium game. But but again, you know, this may be the optimist in me. I don't think we're a million miles off. I don't think we're going to get battered by Belgium, put it that way. And I think, you know, if we can hang in there, there's always a point in it for us. And Italy, this is probably the worst Italy team that they've sent yeah, to the tournament in a long, absolutely. long time. They're not even confident themselves this time. But could that perhaps work in their favour? You know, Italy don't have a great record when it comes to European Championships. I know they were at the final against France uh, there uh, a good few years ago. But, I mean, they don't have a great record. They seem to do a, a bit better in World Cups. But maybe when the pressure is off, they could somehow rise from the ashes. 
Yeah, well, you know, they do have a, a good coaching content. They've got a strong club base there. With, they've got Buffon, Barzaglia, Chiellini, Bonucci, all from Juventus. So, you know, there's no secrets in, in how they're going to defend, uh, which will go in their favour. It means they're going to be hard to beat. But then, you know, you do look elsewhere in the team and, and the talent is just not there anymore. Uh, you know, they don't have a Del Piero or a Totti, uh, guys like this to make the difference. They don't even have a Balotelli this time around. Yeah. Um, so up front, when you're looking at people like Adair and Pelé, these guys aren't, you know, Italy international standard strikers. And Marchisio is injured as well. And Verratti is injured, probably their two most talented midfielders. And, you know, you're looking at kind of a, a, a B-list um, from midfield up front on. And, and, you know, they'll keep clean sheets, uh, but I, I, I can't see them putting in many electrifying performances. Yeah, certainly something for Ireland to take out of that. Just one of the big news uh, this week, Peter, was the talk of Martin O'Neill getting offered a new contract for Ireland to stay on after the Euros for the next for the World Cup campaign. S- sounds very similar to Giovanni Trapattoni. Here's what Martin O'Neill had to say about this. Have a listen to this. I just said uh, John and I had um, had a conversation and I've shaken hands on uh, with John and uh, I have implicit trust in him. There you go, Peter. He's shaken hands with John and he has implicit trust in him. So obviously, you know, nothing's been signed, but it seems like Martin O'Neill has given a verbal agreement to stay on. What do you think of the rationale behind offering the manager a contract before a big tournament? I think the FAI have been a little bit hasty in, in announcing it because clearly there, you know, O'Neill seems quite surprised at the fact that, it's, that you know, word is maybe leaked out already and, and obviously nothing is signed. Uh, it hasn't worked in Ireland's favour in the past, but that's not to say it's not going to work in the future, you know, and, and I'll hold my hands up and I would be one of the chief sceptics when, when Martin O'Neill took the job, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to, I didn't think he was going to do much with the team. But to take the team from where it was to qualify them, you know, sort of the first attempt for a, for a major championship, you know, has really impressed me, I have to say. And I think it would be, it would be good uh, for the current squad of players and, and maybe for the one or two that are emerging if O'Neill stays on. I think he's the right man for the job. I think he's, he's done a good job. And whatever happens here, I don't think he should be judged on, you know, if the occasion is seemed too big for the players. Uh, <clears throat> he's kind of done all, all he can. You know, he's tried to blood as much uh, freshness into the team as he can. You know, obviously he's brought in the likes of Shane Duffy and, he, you know, Randolph is in the goals now. And, you know, he's, he is trying his, his best to freshen things up. And, and there's an openness there the, as well, Peter, you know, that's something Trapattoni never had. Yeah, well, I would be reluctant to criticise Trapattoni too much. I, t- I think he did well with the players at his disposal and ultimately I think he just stayed in the role a little bit too long. But yeah, O'Neill has certainly changed things on that front where, you know, we're not as predictable in attack. You know, he does like to, to vary a little bit going through the centre with, with Hulahan and he, he does like to go down uh, down the right-hand side with, with Walters too. So it does give us something else to work with. One fundamental failing of an Irish team that, and it's always been the case, is, is not been able to hold on to the ball properly. And did O'Neill address that in his years in charge? No, I don't think he did. We're still primarily a counter counterpunching team. You know, we're trying to get the ball forward quickly and maybe hit somebody in a set piece as well. But you know, that's that's just where where we are, and there's no shame in 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 playing football like that. You know, that's the way we do business. So I'm I'm good with it. But yeah, I think it would be good if O'Neill stayed on. But you know, I would question maybe whether he. He thinks himself he, he deserves a shot at a club job. Maybe Roy Keane might be thinking he deserves a shot at a club job. And a good performance here, you know, might change their minds. Yeah, a lot of people say that Roy will be going after the Euros. What do you think? Um, he's made no, I suppose he's made no secret of it himself, that he'd be very open to getting back into club football. Yeah, uh, but, you know, no no club chairman has trusted him with a club 
since since of his own since 2011, and there's good reason for that. And uh, one of the reasons for that is um, is the way he spoke about Aidan McGeady last week. Um, you know, a player, a manager is the type of guy who, sh- who should be putting his arm around a player and encouraging him and making sure that you know he feels okay. Uh, whereas Roy Keane seems to do the polar opposite. You know, it's it's no surprise to learn that he's worked with the likes of Brian Clough and and with Alex Ferguson. But you know, the game has moved on from those guys. You know, man management is a, man management is a very very different thing um, in this day and age. And I don't think Roy has picked up the fine arts of it uh, and and for that reason and, and also the fact you know with with uh, with Sunderland and and obviously with it with um with the Irish team as a player and with Aston Villa you know and what happened at Celtic you know people might not deem Keane trustworthy to finish a project that he starts you know he has walked out of a lot of <laughs> a lot of jobs uh so you know they might be thinking when things start turning against him he, he, he mightn't be in it for the long run so I don't think he's done enough as the assistant manager, despite the results, uh, to convince uh, clubs in England to take him on, if I'm perfectly honest. And I think it might be, you know, it might suit him a little bit better maybe to step into Martin's job. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, what, once he leaves. Yeah, indeed. We'll see what happens there. Peter, just before I let you go, I have to talk to you about the League of Ireland because we are uh, we have our mid-season break. Dundalk top by up, but only by a point. It's very, very close. They've lost three in a row to Cork. I mean, we've seen Cork getting the better of them now a good few times. But do you think Dundalk will have enough to see it out? Yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're looking a bit fatigued towards, towards, the, towards the break, but... You know, there is a lot of quality in the team and, and still a lot of quality in the dugout too. And um, yeah, for me, I, you know, I, I still regard them as the best team in the country. And yeah, I, I do think they're, they, they, they might have to, you know, climb back into the top place before the end of the season, but I expect them to get the job done. And what did you make of the Athlone Town fiasco, Peter? Uh, unable to field a team when the news broke, people were really scratching their heads yeah. to see a League of Ireland club not being able to, to field a full team. While And it's happening while Ireland are at a major tournament. There's kind of echoes of Monaghan United and, and Euro 2012 here. It, it, it reflects very badly on, on the league as a whole. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously issues of professionalism to, uh, to address within the league. I mean, what is it? Getting a text message on the day of a game to say yeah. that we, we haven't got enough players. I mean, you know, w- whatever happens, uh, that's fundamentally wrong. Um, but, you know, there's a wider issue here about, you know, players having to, to get time off. And, you know, it's not as simple as, uh, you know, a team staying together uh, 12 months in the year and being professional, you know, that, that doesn't happen in the League of Ireland. So you're going to have occasions like this where it does look difficult to get to get players together. But for me, it's been an unsavoury episode. It doesn't reflect well on the league. And, you know, we do have a, a, a president over here who's going to enjoy himself over the next few weeks, that's for sure. But maybe you should have a closer eye on, on, the, uh, on the things that are going wrong in the domestic game. Yeah, absolutely. There's nobody who will disagree with you there, Peter. Just finally, before I go, I have to give you your prediction. You're going to be in the Stade de France. I might actually see you there myself. How's it going to go? What does your head and heart say? My head says one all. My heart says one all. (laughs) Okay, Peter. Thanks a million for joining us on the Goal Ireland podcast. We hope you have a terrific time at Euro 2016. We'll chat to you very soon. Enjoy yourself. Always a pleasure, Dave. Well, there you have it. Great stuff there by Goal's chief correspondent, Peter Staunton, who's going to be in the Stade de France for Ireland versus Sweden on Monday. That's it from us here on the Goal Ireland podcast. I'm Dave O'Grady. Don't forget to get down to at Ireland on Twitter and Goal Ireland on Facebook, and you can continue the conversation there. We'll see what happens. Euro 2016 is upon us from all of us here. Enjoy. Take care. We'll chat to you soon.